Becoming a member at Navy Federal Credit Union could help you to earn more and save more. Their certificate options could earn you more than standard savings accounts with competitive rates. Not all financial institutions offer you as many choices for savings options as Navy Federal does. For example, you can start your savings journey with a low minimum deposit, add money at any time, and watch your savings grow. Thanks to flexible terms, you can use Navy Federal savings options for all kinds of goals, short or long term. Navy Federal also offers equity loan options to help you get the funds you need to consolidate high-interest debt, work on home improvements, or cover any of life's big expenses. To learn more, visit NavyFederal.org. At Navy Federal, their members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, equal housing lender, membership required. Terms and conditions apply, loan subject to approval. Here at How to Money, we're always encouraging listeners to think about some of the different ways they can earn some money on the side to reach their financial goals. And guess what? While you're away, your home could also earn extra income. Your empty space could be an Airbnb while you're traveling, because that's all you need to become an Airbnb host. Yeah, hosting is a lot easier than you might think, and you don't need to Airbnb a whole house. You can just host your extra spare room. So consider becoming an Airbnb host, because your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Supercharge your work decks with AI-powered Canva presentations. All you do is start with a prompt. You describe your, your presentation in a few words, and Canva presentations will generate captivating slides that you can then customize in seconds. Canva presentations are designed for every workplace and every department. Whether you work in sales, marketing, HR, ops, and more, Canva presentations can generate any deck you want for work. Sales decks, marketing presentations, onboarding plans, you name it. Any department can save time on any presentation with AI. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Welcome to How to Money. I'm Joel. And I am Matt. And today we're talking building wealth on a tiny income with Sarah the Budget Girl. That's right. Sarah Wilson is joining us on the podcast today. Um, And yes, we're most definitely going to talk a ton about budgeting. Sarah is the budget girl after all. Uh, We'll discuss how she got started budgeting. We'll talk about best methods, the biggest mistakes that that folks are making out there with their budgets. Uh, But you know, who knows after that, what else we'll end up talking about because Sarah is basically like a personal finance Swiss army knife. <laughs> she does it all. She, she paid off her student loans in just three years on uh, quite a meager income. She's getting into investing in real estate. She's also a financial wellness advocate and speaker, as well as a content creator, uh, as she has posted weekly videos up on her wildly successful YouTube channel. So we are excited to talk about all of that and more today. Sarah, thank you for joining us on the podcast. Thank you for having me. And I am absolutely stealing that I'm a personal finance Swiss army knife and using that. <laughs> Put that in your marketing uh, material, Sarah. That's what we're here for. I like it. That was a freebie. I appreciate it. <laughs> you got it. Anything for you. Uh, well, our first question for, for everyone who comes on the podcast has to do with what they like to spend money on because you can, you can learn a lot about someone by where their dollars go intentionally. And Matt and I, we intentionally spend money on good craft beer while we're also saving and investing for the future. So our question for you is, what is that in your life? What do you like to splurge on while you're also making smart moves with your money? Well, I've got a bit of a weird one where a lot of people say, wait, really? The weirder, the weirder, (laughs) the better. (laughs) Yeah. I like to buy vintage campers and trailers <laughs> All right. over the past couple of years. I've uh, I've spent about close to 30000 on uh, three different ones with okay. uh, various end results. But it is, it's something that you wouldn't think of. And if you had asked um, the version of me that started you know, YouTube eight years ago, who was in so much debt, if I would ever just spend money on campers and renovating those <laughs> as a hobby, I would probably think you were dumb. But I definitely do that now. And it's, or- it's weird. 
it, but it's it's a huge splurge. I mean, that tells me that you enjoy it, right? If it's a splurge, that means you wouldn't do this thing if you didn't enjoy it. So is it be, like, what is it specifically about these? I mean, is it the fact that they're vintage? Is it because they're kind of old and timeless? Are you talking about Airstreams or? Oh, yeah, I kind love of an Airstream. I've almost bought several Airstreams and there's always been like some major thing where I was like, no nope, bad idea. So I have always loved like vintage campers and very much things like the Shastas, the old Airstreams. I think there's something incredibly cool cool about them and I love the entire tiny living movement movement no I do not live tiny I have a three-bed two-bath house that's full of crap but <laughs> I, um, I, like I have the always idea loved of it. <laughs> yeah the, the idea of <laughs> tiny living spaces incredibly curated spaces and so I'm also into real estate that you guys might know or people might know if they've seen my channel at all. Um, and after I paid off my debt, I uh, bought a duplex and that's been a wonderful investment, but it actually didn't need that much work. And so I like to, um, I'm a bit of a masochist. So yeah. I then bought a vintage camper that was way too big of a job for me and had to sell it. And then I bought oh. another vintage camper and I spent four months renovating it, making it into an Airbnb. And it is now a entirely cash paid for property essentially that I own own and I do a short-term rental with. It's called the Ag Wagon. And I loved every single minute of designing and fixing that thing up. I, I love how for, for nerdy frugal people, something that can be a splurge can also make them money, right? Like that's oh, that's, yeah. that's one of the coolest <laughs> things about, it doesn't have to be something that only, if you can, if you can take pride and, and, and find joy in the thing that you're spending money in that can, on that can generate revenue, that's, that's the best of both worlds. Absolutely. I often, when people ask me about my, my journey to paying off debt, I say just as an overarching thing, I traded all of my hobbies that cost me money for hobbies that make me money. And that's kind of a mindset shift. And it doesn't mean you can't have hobbies that you enjoy and that just kind of you spend money for the love of getting to do that thing. But if you have some hobbies that also make you money, then you're going to end up in a much better financial place eventually because we all have time to spend on stuff. Yeah, it's it's win-win in that way. And if craft beer wasn't uh, a part of our show, who knows if we would even have a podcast <laughs> if we didn't find some way to channel our love of craft beer into creating a podcast and talking about personal finances. Um, but let's kind of start at your origins. Uh, what is it that made you start posting your budget on the on the internet uh, way back in the day? Ooh, so many moons ago, I, uh, I graduated college with $27,000 in student loan debt, which is actually not even that much, especially compared to now. I mean, this was uh, over a decade ago at this point. Um, I got a job at a newspaper. I was making twenty-four grand a year, and the government told me I didn't make enough to pay on my student loans. So I worked that job for a couple of years, and my loans ballooned up to 33000 um, just from interest. Mm. I then got laid off from that job because they found mm. someone who could do it even cheaper than me. <laughs> so I was on unemployment, terrified, had a Who did they have working who, made who was like comfortable <laughs> making less than $24,000 a year? Was it a piece of software? Yeah. Like, I mean, like what? <laughs> was it a literal monkey or what? How did that, how did that work out? No, it was, it was one of my employees. <laughs> oh, wow. <It> was, <laughs> Cutthroat, so, man. Yeah, so I had someone who I had just hired to do like a weekly column in that section of the newspaper that I ran. I was the lifestyles editor of the paper and uh, she apparently... Uh, decided that she could do my job. And I no hate to her, no hate to my boss at the time. I understand the, the bottom line of that business, but I had spent like two years creating this lifestyle section for this little kind of like crime rag newspaper. And it made them a lot of money because then you could put uh, ads in for things that didn't want to be next to, you know, the meth bust. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I was not making much money. I was working so many hours. It was not a great job. And, and yet it was still very devastating when I got laid off from it. So sure. I was on unemployment for like five months. And I decided that once I got a new job, no matter how much I was making, I was going to figure this money thing out because I knew that I could support myself just like waitressing or doing whatever, but I couldn't then tackle my debt. And that was really like a huge weight on my shoulders and it felt like I couldn't it was just devastating and very scary and I know a lot of people are in that place with money too so I I sure. remember it well sure I mean that's 
I mean, that is how you learn, right? Like, like you have some folks who are, who are saying, well, this is something I want to start doing. But when you have necessity causing you mm-hmm. to, you know, causing you to invent, you're going to quickly learn how to budget and how to handle, handle your money well. Yeah. You'll become the next Benjamin Franklin inventing all sorts <laughs> of things because you're forced to. And, and I don't know, I think back to those days when I was right out of college and I took a similar career trajectory, uh, Sarah, where I was in media. And the, the reality is that most media jobs don't pay very well. It's not it's not a great recipe for a long-standing, stable, well-paying career. Um, and my first job paid almost the exact same amount as yours. And it just it, it forces you to kind of learn some frugal habits. Um, but yeah, that can that, that must have been scary to see your debt rising every single month, uh, and then yeah. your income to kind of drop out from underneath you at the same time. It was very much a like get up or give up moment, and I decided that I was going to get up and do whatever it took Hmm. to kind of make a future for myself, uh, regardless of the low income, regardless of being on my own. And it was, it was going to happen. I was going to be the only one that was going to make it. And so was starting budget girl, was that part of like, was it, was it just to keep you accountable? Was it to document your story for other people? Like what was the reasoning behind kind of making it public? It started as a way for me to talk about money without annoying my friends to death. So I got a new job. (laughs) Eventually, I had to move to Louisiana. I didn't know anyone. I got a job in a newspaper there making like 25,000 pre-tax. And uh, I decided that I was going to become obsessed with like budgeting, figuring out how I was going to fix this thing for myself. And I knew that I needed someone to talk to <laughs> and I didn't want to you know remove all of my my online friendships by just constantly wanting to talk to them about money so at the time there were three personal finance YouTube channels aside from like Dave Ramsey and he was just kind of getting started on YouTube at the time he was you know putting his podcast on there or his radio show on there but not really doing a lot so there was a uh, Lydia Sin of Frugal Debt for Your Life, his and her money, who still have a hugely successful business, and a channel called Debt is Dumb that's no longer around. And these were all higher income people than me. They were all multi-income families, and they all had kids. And so I couldn't really relate to them. Mm-hmm. It's so wonderful now that there are so many different personal finance channels and people who are talking about money out there that you can find someone that's in a similar situation to you that you can relate to. But at the time, there wasn't anything. So I just decided to start talking about it. That's good. Yeah, you find your people, you start talking to them specifically about about budgeting. I mean, we're we're big fans of budgeting uh, in particular. I'm kind of a, a budget nerd myself, Sarah. But you said before that budgets that they're kind of like the secret sauce uh, when it comes to building wealth. Why why is that? So we master what we manage. If you don't know what money is coming in, if you don't know how much you're making and you don't know how much is coming out, then you're absolutely losing opportunities to do things intentionally with that money. Um, Even if you make a great income and your expenses aren't that high and you're not making goals for your money and uh, pushing that money that you have towards things that are going to enrich your life and make your future what you want it to be, you're you're just losing out. So I use a zero-based budget. I recommend that to everyone. And I don't care whether people use an app, a pen and paper, a planner, a spreadsheet. I'm a spreadsheet girl. It's just whatever works for you. But once you start actually seeing on paper where your money is going, you're going to make different choices. And you're going to be able to cultivate the life that you want, or at least get closer to it, using that to the best of your ability by giving it a job with a budget. Yeah. Sometimes people get hung up on the details of a budget. So I guess from your experience, how granular should people be getting and and how much maybe time should they be spending on their budget? I think sometimes people think of budgeting as this like hours long endeavor and that that it's it's just this massive pile of drudgery that's going to take every Wednesday night uh, instead of watching shows or talking, hanging out with their significant other or a good friend, they're going to have to budget for hours on end. Like how, yeah, talk to me about the granularity and maybe the the time piece of budgeting. Those are great questions. And that's, it's a completely legitimate fear because your first budget, if you haven't been budgeting and you don't know like where all your accounts are and what's coming in and what's going out and really what you spend on things like groceries or car insurance, it's going to take a while for you to get all of that down on paper. But once you create that first budget, 
most of the work, I think, is mostly over. Yeah, you're going to have to update it. You're going to have to reconcile your budget every month. I spend a couple of minutes a week and then about half an hour a month at the end of each month to close out my budget, push money to where it's supposed to go. It's not that bad, but I've also been doing it for years. It might take you a little longer. There are things like apps where you can have your you know, debit card transactions import in, and then all you have to do is press a couple of buttons to send those to each category. It doesn't have to be an hours long thing. And if you're doing it right, it's not. There's also the matter of, you know, maybe this takes an hour a month, or when you're first starting, maybe a couple hours a month. You spend a lot of time working for somebody else. If you're the CEO of your own life, you Mm. might want to consider dedicating an hour or so to your money each month because that's it's a very important part of your business the business of you so joel's kind of talking a big talk you you mentioned um the zero-sum budgeting but i know that joel's kind of he's kind of like a big numbers kind of guy he's i don't get very granular yeah (laughs) i'm I'm very overarching i i save and invest a huge chunk of what i make because i live frugally but i don't spend a whole lot of time with the specifics yeah Yeah. and and so i guess i bring that up sarah is because do you think for a lot of folks that even just kind of starting there kind of starting with like a general idea of of how much like a percentage of their income that they're investing or saving oh, or a percentage of their income that's that's you know going towards their uh you know expenses every single month is that better than nothing i like do folks need to go kind of like whole hog with it right off the bat or uh you know might folks be able to kind of gradually work their way into budgeting I think it very much depends on how many resources you have. If you live comfortably, you have more money coming in than you necessarily need to spend, then yeah, you could absolutely do a bucket budget and just say, all right, I'm going to put about 20% of my income into investments and another like 5%, and then I'm just going to spend whatever is left in this category. And some people do where they have part of their income every month go to an account, and then they can just spend freely out of that account as long as there's money. Um, That is still budgeting. (laughs) Um, You're still planning for your future and making sure things are going where. I will say that most people do not have enough resources coming in to where they can be that laissez-faire. Most people who get into personal finance, it's out of necessity. Sure. And if you have months where the ends don't meet, you're going to have to go more granular because that's how things are going to change. Either you're going to have to figure out ways to lower your expenses. um, You're going to have to figure out ways to increase your income in some areas. And it's very much about the details. And that's how I got out of debt because I was I was making sixteen hundred dollars a month. That was what my paycheck every month was. So after, you know, rent, food, car insurance and everything like that, I was dealing with very small margins and even doing things like switching which grocery store I went to or just other very small weekly things that we might not think about so much and I might not think about them so much anymore would make a difference over the month and it determined Mm -hmm. how much I could spend on um, paying off my debt. And those Mm -hmm. first few years making $1,600 a month post-tax, I paid off 10K a year of debt. Yeah, I mean those those small changes, like where you shop for groceries, make a big difference in your ability to keep more money in your life to reach those other financial goals, right? The ability to just shop at Aldi instead of Publix <laughs> or something like yeah. that is going to make is going to make a meaningful difference in that monthly budget, allowing you to to more quickly reach those goals. And I, I love like um, one that you've lived it, right? But you also you talk about how. People can live the life of their dreams on any budget. That's one of the things you've said. And as someone who grew up lower middle class, as ha- who had those years of, of having a lot of debt to pay off, but not having a whole lot of income to do it with, can you talk about budgeting on a smaller income and and why is it? Like, I don't know. I, I want to believe what you say, that people can live the life of their dreams on any income. But I don't know. A lot of people will hear that and they'll say, that sounds crazy. That's not my life. Well, the the phrase I usually use is build the life of your dreams okay, on gotcha, any gotcha. income. So um, if I'm sure you guys know Paula Pant in the space, she, uh, she does the Afford Anything podcast and has mm-hmm. that brand. And I really like what she says about you can afford anything, but you cannot afford everything. So a lot of what I talk about sometimes is about value-based spending. And 
often we spend when we're not monitoring our money just kind of everywhere. And if you can redirect your focus toward the things that you actually value, then, and just say, I'm not going to spend on anything else, then it can make this huge difference in your budget and in your life. So, you know, maybe you're going out to movies and bars and stuff like that for entertainment, but you don't really care about drinking. Or maybe you spend a lot on a car when you don't really care about cars. I drive a salvage vehicle and have for years that I pay basically pennies for. It works great. I could care less what type of car (laughs) I drive around in. So I'm not going to sign. Yeah. So I'm not going to sign up for a loan on this like gorgeous truck, but some people really love cars. They love cars. And they might not like clothes. They don't really care what they wear. And for that person, I would say, absolutely. If you're trying to build the life that you want, spend the money on that car, save for it, of course, make sure that you can afford it, but don't feel bad about investing in the things that you really value. So, and on a lower income, that's even more important. So if if your family really loves to go camping, save money for camping don't necessarily go to like movies and other stuff replace the things that aren't bringing you that much joy with fewer things that really really make you light up totally yeah and oftentimes i think folks aren't spending enough time whether that's looking at their budget every week or every month like but folks aren't taking the time they're not setting that that portion of their life aside to determine whether or not they're gaining that value from the money that they're spending. Let's assume, though, that you have identified what it is that you value. You have identified the things that, that light you up. For the most part, you know, you, you want to kind of find ways to cut back in all of those other areas that don't mm-hmm. bring you that joy. Uh, and so just kind of like on a practical note, like, like what are some of the like, like the lowest hanging money saving fruit out there that, that you think that most folks probably aren't thinking of? What are ways that folks can trim their budget while still, of course, maintaining what it is that they're, they're splurging on their, their craft beer equivalent? One of the biggest things for me when I started is that I didn't do any sort of meal planning. Um, I would go to the grocery store, much like many people, a few times a week. I would wander up and down the aisles, think about what I wanted to eat like that evening, buy a bunch of ingredients, bring them home, and then I'd end up going out to lunch the next day because even though I just went to the grocery store, I didn't have anything for lunch. Hmm. So groceries and restaurants are always going to be the biggest categories for most people. Like we just spend a lot. There's a lot of food waste uh, in most American homes. We actually end up throwing away about 25% of what we buy. Imagine what you could do with 25% of your grocery budget back. And I will say that learning how to plan for groceries and eating out, planning for food is a longer system than you would think. Most people cannot switch from having no meal plan to shopping sales, planning out things, doing like freezer meals, figuring out how much things at the grocery store are and if they're a good deal. That's going to take many months to kind of cull your grocery budget down, but it's absolutely worth it because then you're not throwing out as much food. So yeah, groceries and restaurants are probably one of the first things I usually recommend people start with the majority of my audience are women so we usually end up heading the uh, food for our households and it can make a giant difference many people spend well over a thousand dollars a month on food to feed their families and if that can be cut down even by a couple hundred dollars that can be what you build your emergency fund with that can be what you start investing with Mm -hmm. what about what about subscription uh, subscriptions, because it feels like those those are proliferated in a big way. We've talked about that on the show quite a bit. There's just there are more and more brands and companies that want to siphon money from you, not just on a one time basis, but like repeatedly every single month on the first or the fifteenth or whatever of the month. So is that one of those things that's often overlooked too? That's costing people money that they're they're not really aware of. You just reminded me I need to cancel Paramount Plus again. So, yes. Uh, <laughs> We've helped you out twice here already on this podcast, Sarah. Thank you. Okay? 
Um, yeah, subscriptions are really big, especially when you're first starting and figuring out what's coming in and what's going out. It's one of those things where we just forget about and people who don't check their bank accounts that often, it's very easy to forget to cancel that free trial for that subscription service or um, just let something come in. Like the, and I think most subscriptions that are like delivery subscriptions are the worst deal in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, it's like a little present for yourself like you're trying to make christmas happen over and over and i get it i also like mail but (laughs) (laughs) but if you're trying to um, bring your spending down so that you can redirect it towards things that will actually make a bigger difference in your life um absolutely and it doesn't matter if it's those food subscription services or the beauty box services the steak of the month club whatever it is those are a really easy thing to cut if you don't want. And here's the thing, most of the stuff that comes in those boxes, you didn't even want. Like, <laughs> eh, I'll figure out a way to use this, but you know, there might be one thing you get your jollies up really over, but it's, eh, no, don't. As for like online subscriptions, those are a little bit insidious sometimes, I think. There are so many platforms now, and I actually share streaming platforms with my best friend, and I have since college. So I pay for um, Hulu and Disney Plus, and she pays for Prime and Netflix, and we share those. I do understand that some of those companies are starting to crack down on that a little bit, but that has saved us both money for years, and it kind of keeps the overall bills down and it you know gives us something to talk about um i sometimes will purchase something for like a limited series i wanted to watch iCarly on paramount plus so i signed up for that and i need to cancel that (laughs) um but yeah just monitoring your money as it or your bank account as stuff comes in goes out and then actually seeking out how to unsubscribe or cancel those can absolutely plug up one of those drains that happens to all of us including me (laughs) well sarah we've got many more topics and questions that we want to get to including like we're going to talk a little bit more about real estate we're going to ask you more about your your campers but we also want to kind of dive into relationships a little bit too and how that impacts your finances and so we'll get to all of that right after this I think there are a lot of folks who start small businesses and they're surprised at the amount of behind the scenes, the admin type work that they're not all that thrilled about. Getting your books together with uh, with some final figures so that you can file your corporate taxes, for instance. That's something we've been in the middle of. But it can really gum up the gears, potentially keeping you from doing the work you love. If this is you, you should know these three numbers. 37,000. 25 and 1. That's right. Yeah, 37,000, that's the number of businesses which have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, streamlining accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25. NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. And one, because your business is one of a kind. So you get a customized solution for all of your KPIs, key performance indicators, in one efficient system with one source of truth. Manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margins. Everything you need to grow, all in one place. There's a lot of power in the simplification of having all that information in one place. Helps you make better decisions. That's right. And right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash howtomoney. That's netsuite.com slash howtomoney to get your own KPI checklist. netsuite.com slash howtomoney. So we've mentioned on the show how we've got a Dominican trip coming up. We're going to celebrate, Joel, you and Emily. You're both turning 40 this year, so we're doing it up right. And a lot of listeners, they might have trips of their own planned. And sometimes those vacations can get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? Yeah, that's right. Why let it sit empty when it can be earning extra income on your behalf? It's a smart and practical thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you have some extra space in your home. Maybe you have a whole house to host. Or maybe you're going on vacation and your home is just going to be sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. Yeah, I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you've got two options. You can either let it just sit there empty, or you can do some optimizing and make some money off of it. Really, if you think about it, you already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home, it might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, folks, it's Matt. 
I've got to tell you about something new I've been trying this year. I've been drinking a little Health Aid kombucha every day, and I feel amazing. It comes in so many delicious flavors, but my favorite so far are Pink Lady Apple and Ginger Lemon. So what exactly is Health Aid kombucha? Well, it is a fermented, bubbly, probiotic tea that's good for your gut. It's blended with real fruit juice, and it's super thirst-quenching, a little sweet and a little tangy, and very refreshing. I'm sure you've heard about the importance of gut health and supporting uh, your overall health. It's something I've read up on a good bit over the past year, which is why I've made Health Aid Kombucha a part of my everyday routine. Literally every afternoon, I'll have some. It's super easy, and it's affordable, too. My favorite grocery store, Aldi, they carry it as well. If you want to give it a try and see how great you can feel, look for the brown bottle with an anchor and make Health Aid Kombucha your go-to for a healthier, happier you. A big part of being a responsible adult is taking care of the things you care about. For instance, my bike that I ride in to work on. I keep the tires pumped. I keep the chain greased. Gone are the days of leaving your bike out in the rain for weeks at a time, like a kid. (laughs) Simply put, the things futures are built around are the things worth protecting. And making an estate plan now means gaining security of your assets and peace of mind for you and your loved ones. With Trust & Will, you can create and manage a custom estate plan starting at just $199. Go to trustandwill.com slash howtomoney for 10% off plus free document shipping. As the primary breadwinner for our family, I've taken the steps to ensure that Kate and the kids that they're going to be taken care of if something terrible happens to me. Each will or trust is state-specific and customized to your needs. Their simple step-by-step process guides you from start to finish with ease. So get the peace of mind you deserve by creating your estate plan with Trust & Will. Secure your assets and protect your loved ones with Trust & Will. Get 10% off plus free shipping of your estate plan documents by visiting trustandwill.com slash howtomoney. That's 10% off and free shipping at trustandwill.com slash howtomoney. All right, let's keep going. We're talking with Sarah uh, Wilson, the budget girl, uh, as she's known on YouTube. And Sarah, one of your most controversial videos, I would say, uh, was about how you charge your boyfriend rent to live in your house. I personally, <laughs> I loved it. I thought it was great. Uh, but can you tell us about that? Like, why why do you charge him rent? What kind of blowback have you gotten? How, how does that uh, work out relationally for you guys? <laughs> Um, well, anytime my viewers, my views are down, all I have to do is bring that up and I get a lot of, (laughs) Uh, so that's always fun. Here's the thing. I don't actually see it. And most people who, um, read that content on my website or watch it on my YouTube are like, this is a, this is a non-starter. Of course he should pay his way. He's a grown adult man. Um, like everyone has to pay to live somewhere except me because I own the house and I rent it out. But, um, that's, that's a little different. (laughs) Um, so I do this thing called house hacking, which you guys have, I'm sure you've heard of, but I essentially, I bought a duplex. I live on one side. I rent out the other side and I also rent out part of my side because my boyfriend lives with me. So I put all the money in for the house. It is only in my name and we had a grown-up discussion because we were living together before and we were splitting rent on an apartment. Um, So we had a grown-up discussion that was like, all right, what's best for each of our finances on this? Uh, My boyfriend, Jacob, he has some debt. He has some student debt that he's working through. And if something were to happen with the house, like the fridge goes out, it needs new drainage, we needed a new roof, all things that have happened within the past two years, um, (laughs) flooded kitchen. (laughs) Um, The the joys of home ownership are not not as numerous as many people would would, uh, say, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I love it. I absolutely love it. But I'm financially prepared for it. I have savings. Mm-hmm. I don't have any debt other than the house. And I have um, income to handle and an emergency savings for the house Yeah, to handle anything that comes up. And that has been essential to being a responsible real estate owner and landlord. Oh, yeah. So if something, anytime any of those things came up, we kind of discussed, well, if you know, you're not paying rent, are you going to like help me with, you know, expenses that come up? Like, would that be a fair split? And no, that's not a fair split to him. What was better for him was to just pay a set amount each month. And then I cover anything that needs to happen with the house. Um, It's, it's pretty simple. (laughs) Um, Just because he lives with me doesn't mean, and I own the house doesn't mean he should live for free. There is money that has to be paid (laughs) after my other renter who I'm not related to or anything or have any, you know, I'm just 
giving her a place to live in exchange for money. Um, her rent is twelve fifty. My mortgage is sixteen hundred. So he he pays seven hundred dollars a month, and that's for five hundred dollars rent, and then contributions for half our internet, half our lawn care, and everything like that. I love it. And then I pay everything on top <laughs> of that. So some months I make one hundred and forty dollars off of my house. Other months I spend ten thousand. <laughs> <laughs> and you are the one who is in the the cash position to be able to handle those exactly. ups and downs. I feel like like you said, so much of home ownership and so much of being an adult is just having a little bit of extra cash on hand to be able to handle the unforeseen expenses, the emergencies that that pop up here and there. Like that essentially that's what an escrow does, right? Like with your mortgage company. And they're like, "Okay, we'll we'll be the adult in the room <laughs> and we'll take care of that massive tax bill that you encounter." Where I'm thinking, "Okay, that's nice of you, but half the time you get it wrong and we're having to pay extra. Yeah, there's just all, all these issues with it when in reality, all it is is just thinking, looking ahead and setting that money aside every single month. But yeah, so, which is the homeowner I'm prepared for. But absolutely. should he have to be on the hook for you know the $7,000 drainage bill when he doesn't have any equity in the house? No, well, probably, probably not. Uh, no. <laughs> yeah. He would probably and he have uh, to... complain about that if, if yeah, you were yeah, to... <laughs> no, that's not fair to him. So he actually has a lease that we wrote that even outlines what would happen should we break up. It protects him. It protects me. Uh, and we made it in a, when we were in a place where we're both trying to really look out for each other. So yeah, he would have to awesome. pay rent to live somewhere. Um, by living with me, he gets really cheap rent. Actually, like I said, the other side rents for twelve fifty, and it's a couple hundred under market. He's only paying five hundred for rent, so he gets cheaper rent. He gets to keep living with me. He gets to help me, uh, you know, pay on my house, but he doesn't have any of the responsibilities that come with home ownership. Yeah, and again, that that seems totally reasonable. Um, it's it's funny though because it's interesting how some folks would push back against that because it, it kind of brings up the the frugal versus being cheap debate, right? Mm. And the, one of the ways that Joel and I have defined someone being cheap in the past is when you take your frugalness, essentially, and you impose that on somebody else, right? And yeah. so, th- like that, for instance, you know, like you got a roommate situation and one roommate wants the AC to be cranked all the way down to 67 and the other roommate's like, no, 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 we're going to do like 82 because we're <laughs> going to save some money. And so in that sense, you're kind of like, well, what's happening there? The reason there's a conflict is because you've got one person kind of imposing what it is that they want to do in order to save money on the other. But obviously your boyfriend doesn't have to agree with <laughs> with, with whatever the conditions are, uh, granted, it's well, I guess no, it's a little does. more complicated had, because you, yeah, you're in a relationship. Yeah, we had several adult. We had several adult conversations over the course of several weeks, saying like, "What do you feel is fair here?" And we went back and forth about it. There were several arrangements that I was willing to go with, as long as both of us were being taken care of and both mm-hmm. of us were being fair. Just because I own a house doesn't mean that you necessarily get to live for free. And that's where yeah. bo- most of the backlash comes from, where somebody is living in somebody else's house for free and they're like, but I clean. I'm like, you know what, whatever's fair, but feels fair between you two, but I hope you have you know, plans in case anything changes. If someone feels taken advantage of, that feeling is only going to grow. Yes. And in our situation, neither of us feel taken advantage of. Both of us feel like we're getting something out of the situation. That's that's all that matters in this type of thing. And yeah. even if that doesn't mean free rent for someone, maybe you're contributing somehow else that oh, totally. feels fair to both of you. Totally. Talk- yeah. It sounds like y'all have got a great arrangement is, is what I'm getting for at. For sure. Yeah. No, yeah. agreed. And the way you explained it in your video too, I was like, yes, yes, yes. Sarah's <laughs> spot on. Sarah's taking care of her investment, but she's also taking care of her boyfriend at the same time i feel like it it's a win-win for everybody involved like the way the way you're handling this i guess i, I want to know too sarah while we're talking about relationships i feel like a, a lot of and you've mentioned this a lot of the personal finance advice out there skews towards married people skews towards couples mm-hmm. and so i know that you even mentioned that kind of at the start of this interview you were like hey all the other people out there talking about budgeting were married with kids and i mm-hmm. felt like i had a different perspective to share so yeah, talk to us about maybe the differences or the nuance that's necessary to help reach and teach people who are not married, who are single, who don't want to get married, um, who don't want to have kids. How should we talk about budgeting differently in order to help those people out more? 
mean, all these different phases of life um, or kind of like categories of life, the money's different. We have different bills. I don't have to pay or I don't have to save for kid college right now. I don't have to um, pay for childcare or think about, you know, upcoming school supplies or anything like that. So I, I try to defer any questions about like how to, you know, budget for kids and stuff like that to some of my wonderful friends in the PF community that have kids and have lived that life. Um, There are some overall basic money tenants that everyone has to essentially learn how to deal with um, just with, you know, spending less than you make and prioritizing spending and stuff like that. But for people who are single, it's kind of it can be really wonderful, actually. A lot of people kind of look down on singles. I mean, yeah, we don't have dual incomes to hit debt with, but at the same time, we also don't have to um, ask anyone's permission or yeah. negotiate on any of the things that we want. You can um, buy there three campers in a week and nobody can say anything <laughs> about it. You know? Nobody can stop me. <laughs> uh, yeah, there are, I mean, I did the majority of my debt, the entirety of my debt payoff by myself, which also meant that I didn't have to compromise. (laughs) If I wanted to eat lasagna for a week because that would save me money, I did that. Versus now there is a uh, near daily discussion of what are we going to eat? No, I don't want that. No, 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 no. And when you have a partner, you have to, you know, do what's best for both of you and really invest in that relationship, which often costs more money. It is worth it. But single people have kind of a superpower when it comes to money because they are the only ones that have to make those decisions, which means they are the only, they get to make all of those decisions by themselves. And I think that's something really powerful that a lot of people don't really consider. There's, there was, like I said, when I started, there was a lot of like, you know, we decided this on YouTube and I'm like, or I compromised on this so that we could do this because it was really important to him. And I'm like, I don't have to compromise for anybody. (laughs) I love that. I moved though. three I, yeah. times for different jobs. I did what I wanted. <laughs> I love that perspective because I feel like you you usually hear the opposite. Like it's so much mm-hmm. it's so much harder, and and you reframing it as being single as being a superpower, as being able to kind of be the sole decision maker, and you have more leverage over your own financial decisions, where you move, what jobs you take, the extreme cost cutting measures you might enact. I feel like that. To me, like if I was sing- if I'm single listening to this right now, I'm like, wait a second, you're right. Like I I have more power than maybe I previously thought. I think I think it's a really really good way to think about it. Well, I'm glad. Uh, it's it's empowering to have total control over your own money, and you know most couples I believe probably have very similar goals, and it's great if you have dual incomes where you can work towards a goal faster and together. But I, don't don't discount the singles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's assuming that that couple is on the same page, that they have talked through those important topics, which sure. we'd recommend for you to do before. But a lot don't. But yeah, but but a lot of folks yeah. don't. And so you are faced with some difficult discussions as folks are on different pages. Sarah, you know, you, you mentioned the ag wagon. Uh, you're there in Texas, uh, Texas A&M. Can you tell us a little bit about your your journey into investing in real estate? You know, so right like right now, you've got uh, the duplex you rent out on Airbnb through the uh, through your camper. Like, what do you know now that you've learned recently over the the past couple of years that you wish you knew maybe before you went down this this path of real estate investing? I mean, I kind of stumbled upon real estate investing. I actually. Once I, when I was paying off debt, I was extremely hyper-focused on that. And many people would ask me like, well, what are you gonna do next? I'm like, saving an emergency fund. Like, that's all I can think of. And I'm like, eventually I know I'm gonna invest, but I hadn't really, I had never really heard of real estate as something that was accessible to normal people. I thought hmm. most real estate was owned by giant corporations and I had or, rented from many Trump. of them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so, does it seem like a normal thing that's approachable? Yeah, I totally get that. No, it absolutely doesn't. And no, I was never, I, I didn't really know anyone that owned rentals just, you know, growing up. So, I actually stumbled upon the Bigger Pockets community. Uh, Minion Scott had me on the one of the first episodes of their Bigger Pockets Money podcast, and they were asking me about my debt journey. And they were kind of like, "What are you going to do next?" And I'm like, "I don't know, uh, other than the saving and investing." And I quickly figured out later that investing was kind of boring to me, and that doesn't mean I don't do it. It just means that I buy index funds and I leave them alone forever. Um, I'm not interested at all in day trading or 
really like crypto or anything like that or like comparing stocks, it bores me to tears and I don't want to do that (laughs) research. What I figured out did interest me was how you could get into real estate, put in sweat equity, and then make more money that way. And you could make passive money in real estate. So I got very deep into that community and learned all about house hacking and found lots of people in the space that were doing really interesting things. And I decided I wanted to be an ethical landlord. Um, And that basically means to me that I charge an extremely fair price, usually under market, and I only rent out places that I would be overjoyed to live in. And I keep my units extremely nice. um, And I've had just really great success with that so far. I also that decided to attract I to great kind of, tenants, having a great place to live, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I fix things really fast. I mean, I live next door in the duplex, so I can be over there in seconds if something goes wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and I do a lot of the work myself. I use the FHA to buy my first home, which I live in, of course. And I found that to be a super accessible way to get into what otherwise I wouldn't have had enough money to get in with uh, 20% down on my duplex, even though it wasn't that expensive. And yeah, there's just this whole world out there of real estate. And once I figured out that I could get into it, I was extremely excited because I didn't have a lot of money. I've never had a lot of money, but if I could put in work myself to make Mm -hmm. something really nice, I'm all in for that. I love it, and I, I love how you're running your operation. It, it it jives with kind of how Matt and I think about, talk about, and run our own rental properties that we have. You know, we just have a handful, but I think a lot of people think that it takes having, I don't know, hundreds of doors or mm-hmm. owning an apartment complex or like the goal with investing in real estate has to be massive. But yeah. y- like you're living proof of how. Uh, just a kind of a seemingly small real estate investment, like one duplex and then a camper (laughs) in a yard, like how that can provide just an insane amount of financial security. Absolutely. One rental property can completely change your life's financial trajectory because most people walk through life with exactly one stream of income. And if that's ever threatened, they're a little bit screwed. I can't imagine not having multiple streams of income at this point. Um, one, because I enjoy the challenge, but two, because you know I, I started out from a place where I lost my job and I was screwed. So <laughs> now yeah. having multiple things come in, if one of those streams stops, I'm still fine. I have so yeah. many options that I can explore. And that took a long time to build up, but has been incredibly rewarding. It, it doesn't happen overnight. That's for sure. I think a lot of that's another thing that people struggle with as they're trying to get their money together. They're trying to to build multiple streams of income. They're like, okay, I've been doing it for like three months. Why am I not feeling it? But it takes time to yeah. to uh, to build up that cash cushion and to continue to invest in ways that are going to grow your monthly income to build that cash flow. Speaking of that, uh, Sarah, we want to ask you more about building your business and building that side hustle and that cash flow. We'll, we'll get to some questions on that right after this. So we've mentioned on the show how we've got a Dominican trip coming up. We're going to celebrate, Joel, you and Emily. You're both turning 40 this year, so we're doing it up right. And a lot of listeners, they might have trips of their own planned. And sometimes those vacations can get expensive. So what better way to offset some of those costs than to have your home earning some money while you're away? Yeah, that's right. Why let it sit empty when it can be earning extra income on your behalf? It's a smart and practical thing to do. So think it through. Maybe you have some extra space in your home. Maybe you have a whole house to host. Or maybe you're going on vacation and your home is just going to be sitting empty. In every case, you can Airbnb it. You already have the space, so it won't be a huge adjustment. Yeah, I mean, the way I see it, if you're not using your space, you've got two options. You can either let it just sit there empty, or you can do some optimizing and make some money off of it. Really, if you think about it, you already have an Airbnb. You just need to start using it. Your home, it might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Hey, folks, it's Matt. I've got to tell you about something new I've been trying this year. I've been drinking a little Health Aid kombucha every day, and I feel amazing. It comes in so many delicious flavors, but my favorites so far are Pink Lady Apple and Ginger Lemon. So what exactly is Health Aid kombucha? Well, it is a fermented, bubbly, probiotic tea that's good for your gut. 
It's blended with real fruit juice and it's super thirst quenching, a little sweet and a little tangy and very refreshing. I'm sure you've heard about the importance of gut health and supporting uh, your overall health. It's something I've read up on a good bit over the past year, which is why I've made Health Aid Kombucha a part of my everyday routine. Literally every afternoon I'll have some. It's super easy and it's affordable too. My favorite grocery store, Aldi, they carry it as well. If you want to give it a try and see how great you can feel, look for the brown bottle with an anchor and make Health Aid Kombucha your go-to for a healthier, happier you. And now a word from the show sponsors at Betterment. No matter how hard of a worker you are, you probably like to kick back, relax, and just chill every now and then. But if you're an investor, that's the last thing you want your money to be doing. You want it to be out there working hard and kicking butt. That's exactly what the Betterment Automated Investment and Savings app can help it do. Betterment's automated technology gives you advanced tools that are built to help maximize returns. We're talking tools like diversified expert-built portfolios of low-cost ETFs. Keeping those expense ratios low is key to seeing your investments compound over the years and decades. A high-yield cash account where your money can earn 11 times the national average. Listeners know that they need to have an emergency fund set aside for those completely unforeseen expenses. A high-yield cash account is the perfect place to park that money in automated investing technology like automated rebalancing. That way, if certain industries are, say, growing like crazy, your portfolio, it stays on track. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Learn more about high-yield cash accounts at Betterment.com. Investing involves risk, performance not guaranteed. Cash reserve offered through Betterment LLC and Betterment Securities. Betterment is not a bank. I got my first life insurance policy almost a decade ago. And hey, I'm still kicking it. I very much hope that trend continues, Matt. And since then, I've actually added coverage via Policy Genius. And if you out there, you're listening and you're worried that this is going to be a massive pain getting life insurance, think again. Policy Genius made it an incredibly easy process. If you have loved ones who rely on you and your income, life insurance is a crucial part of your financial plan. Not only does it provide a financial backstop for your family, it also gives you peace of mind too. Plus, the longer you wait, the more rates go up because life insurance rates typically increase as you get older. So if this is something you've been putting off, it's time to make it happen now. That's right. Yeah. And even if you already have a life insurance policy through work, it may not offer enough protection for your family's needs and it may not follow you if you leave your job. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to PolicyGenius.com to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's PolicyGenius.com. All right, we are back and we are talking with the budget girl. Uh, and speaking of those multiple streams of income, Sarah, let's talk about uh, building an online business. Can we call her TBG for short? <laughs> I, you have to ask her. Okay. <laughs> Sarah, is that okay? I, Can we call you TBG? Uh, it's like, the R- like RBG. just doing BG. <laughs> okay. <laughs> She's budget girl. She's not the budget oh, girl. Oh, sorry. Sarah, I answer to many things. Yeah. <laughs> I've been called worse. <laughs> But uh, okay, budget girl online. Like it looks like you're you're making quite a bit of money there. Uh, maybe even more than you're making at your day job. And so, is it your goal to to go full time with this business? Uh, with this, what originally started out as a side hustle, which originally started as a way for you to kind of document your progress and talk to other people about you know being frugal and saving money. Do you want to go full time with that, or is this just kind of more of like a a lucrative labor of love on the side? Ah, the entrepreneur question. Um, <laughs> so every, every single entrepreneur gets kind of that, like if you're doing something on the side, do you want to take it full time? And historically, my answer has always been like, I really like my job. I work in social media at Texas A&M University. The benefits are great. Uh, I love having health insurance that I don't have to pay for. The retirement's great. Um, that is very nice to have. Yeah, I'm doing this on my lunch break. They respect my time. Um, and coming from journalism, where I was previous to here, um, where I worked like 80 hours a week for like a dollar and a quarter, uh, <laughs> this is this is really fantastic. Um, I. I really like having options with money, like I was talking about before. So, you know, one day maybe I'll have enough rental income coming in that I won't have to clock in for 40 hours at a job, or maybe I could go a little bit more part-time. I won't say it's not challenging to be juggling all of these different things, um, and sometimes it's a little bit exhausting, but the current plan is not to go full-time for Budget Girl. Um, 
just because I, and I did make more money last year off of budget girl than I did from my day job, but it's, you know, it's, it's kind of a different labor and I do love it, but it takes a lot more work to be getting in like sponsorships and doing all the things that it takes to create money for budget girl than Mm -hmm. it does for my day job, believe it or not. (laughs) They pay me whether or not I have a productive day. (laughs) I don't like film or post the articles. I'm not getting paid for BG. So plus all of those, I mean, all those benefits. I mean, the fact that, so you're with a university. Do you have a match? I assume. Yeah, a, a work yeah, we, um, retirement account. we're actually like teachers retirement system. They have a really nice match. Nice. Yeah. I mean, you've got that. Health you, benefits. You've got the health benefits. Those I things mean, are expensive. Those two things alone. Well, then, you know, as individuals, we have to go out there on the open market and get our own health insurance plans for our families, mm-hmm. which is not inexpensive. <laughs> I'll say that. Yeah, not fun or inexpensive. And just right. dealing with like the health system in general, much less if you're on something that's not like a massive corporation yes. plan. It's it's hard. And I don't particularly want to deal with that. <laughs> right. I am also, I'll just say, I'm not the best at monetizing Budget Girl. <laughs> I have a lot of friends in the PF space that are bringing in, you know, quadruple what I am because they're really great at affiliate links and doing, you know, more monetary integrations. I don't even have any courses or anything like that that I sell. I just sell my budgets on Etsy. So it's, you know, it's quite a labor and I'm not ready to make that be my only source or my main source of income. Got it. I also think I I might enjoy it a little less if I did. Yeah, no, I think that's probably true. If it becomes like, it is kind of like Matt said, a labor of love in a lot of ways for you that makes you money. Um, And if you also enjoy your day job and you get to enjoy two things without taking on this onus of having to force budget girl to make uh, two or three times as much money, like maybe you are in the sweet spot, right? Like there's no need to go all in on that. Okay. So as you've got sort of these different pursuits, how, like, how is it that you decide what it is that you want to continue pursuing, right? And so like we've talked about BG being sort of a labor of love. You're not totally sure if you want to go full time with it. But like, like what advice would you give somebody who does have something kind of bacon in the oven? Like they've got kind of got this pot going on the back burner. Um, they're thinking about ramping it up, but maybe it's not generating income, but it's something that they like. How do you recommend for folks to approach that conundrum if they're finding themselves short on time, if they're realizing that they're going to have to cut back somewhere? No, that's an excellent question. So um, I'm sure you'll be shocked, but I sincerely hope that you're keeping a very accurate and detailed budget of your income and expenses for whatever venture you're doing. It's very important for tax purposes and for looking at when you're trying to decide whether this venture is worth your time or not. So I actually recently did a video on my channel about how much I made uh, slash lost in my first six months of Airbnb. And renting the camper, we had several things that happened. I had to replace the, I had some uh, plumbing issues. I had to replace the lock, which was a big custom order thing. I've uh, had Mm. to replace the AC. And I actually net negative for my first six months. So that's at that point, you have to kind of consider, is this worth my time and think about your long term plans for things. So right now, the main issue with my camper is that it's at an RV park, which means it costs $500 a month in lot rent to be there. And that money is kind of just going away each month. The long term plan with it is to buy some land, install it permanently, and then be able to build out, you know, different Uh, short-term rentals on that piece of land or have a little bit more stuff going on. So I'm definitely constantly kind of reconsidering how much time this thing is worth, but I do have a long-term action plan for this. And I am of course willing to, you know, pull the plug on it. If I am two years from now, if I'm still losing money on the ag wagon, it's going to be time to sell it. <laughs> yeah. So you do have to kind of consider what your time is worth. If there's better things you could be doing with your time. It's not always all about money. I love having this little short-term rental. I find a lot of joy in hosting and having this, but I also have longer term plans on how to make it make more money than it currently mm-hmm. is. And the main reason I didn't make money the first six months is because I had several things pop up and that could have happened at a, like a regular rental too. Sure. But yeah, just keep really good records and reassess and make sure that all of your ventures are still aligned with what you want to do long term. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I think what you just said there is great, right? It's not just about the money, right? Uh, you can have something maybe that isn't making you money, but I think you have to kind of change the name of it at that point. Like at that point, it's no longer this side hustle. It's no longer yeah. this venture. It's a hobby. <laughs> and, that, yeah. and that's totally fine. And, and you're kind of even speaking to that at the beginning where maybe your splurge initially was, you know, some of these different campers. It can be a hobby that costs you money as long as you're not trying to convince yourself that like, okay, no, well, this is a business. It's like, well, it is a business, but it depends on, mm-hmm. you know, how profitable that business might be depends on that does come down to the numbers. But I think it is OK for things to not make money. And on the flip side, it can make a lot of money and you can say, I don't it, want this to become my full time thing. Like exactly. yeah. a bunch of girls, you could say, right? I hate this. I need to sell it and then put that <laughs> yes. money into somewhere else that you do enjoy because life should be enjoyed. Money is meant to be spent. Um, you just have to make choices about how to spend it in the best way for you. Totally. Love it. Absolutely. All right. Sarah, hey, thank you so much for joining us um, on this episode of How to Money. How can our listeners find out more about you and what you're up to? Absolutely. I would love for you guys to come visit me on YouTube at youtube.com slash budgetgirl or at budgetgirl.com. I have so many free resources, budgets, uh, motivational templates, and instructional articles. If you want to get inspired with money, there's your place. And you can also find me on social at GoBudgetGirl on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and at BudgetGirl on TikTok. I call Very her cool. GBG on the socials. <laughs> <laughs> Not TBG. Right. Go Budget Girl. That's Sarah, right. Sarah, uh, thank you so much. We really appreciate you joining us. Absolutely. It was such a pleasure. Thank you for having me. All right, Joel. That was a great conversation we just had with Budget Girl. Don't you put the the in there. It's not TBG. <laughs> Try to rebrand her. <laughs> it's just Budget Girl. But uh, yeah, definitely enjoy this conversation. And I've got my big takeaway, but I will allow you to go first. What Ooh. was your big takeaway uh, from this episode? Oh. I got I got my big takeaway within like the first five minutes or first 10 minutes. Uh, she said something that sparked something. Okay, in mine mind. was early on too. Oh, oh was it? So I'm not stepping on your toes. Shoot, all right. I loved it when she talked about hobbies that okay. cost you money versus hobbies that make you money. Uh-huh. And I think we... Well, That's not mine, so we're okay, good. Okay, good, good. <laughs> I, I'm kind of a fan of inexpensive hobbies anyway, but I don't usually partake in hobbies that are making me money. I guess when we started this podcast, it kind of was like, uh, it was like this thing where, okay, we'll, we'll give it a shot. We'll have fun. It'll be a hobby. We'll see if we enjoy it. And then we'll see if, you know, we can turn it into something. But for the most part, my, uh, the hobbies I participate in collecting campers or something like that, flipping things in order to make money, you know, I don't really do that very much. But there are some people who are going in the opposite direction and all of their hobbies cost them a lot of money. And I think it's okay if you set aside the funds to pay for those things. It's part of your budget and you're like, listen... That's part of living life. I'm more than happy uh, to pay for my two rounds of golf a week or, you know, flying lessons because (laughs) I want to learn how to fly a plane. Like, those aren't cheap things to do, um, but they they can be super rewarding, Mm -hmm. right? But I love, especially considering where Sarah was early on with uh, a small income and trying to grow that income and get rid of that massive pile of student loan debt that she took to monetizing hobbies, to finding those things that she did enjoy that, that would that could be lucrative. So I don't know. I, it's it's not applicable advice for everybody, but I think there's a, a, a lot more people can put some of their extra time to work finding a hobby that they enjoy, maybe something that they like to do that is actually also going to pay them simultaneously. Yeah, I like that. Especially early on, I think your biggest interest might be to figure out how I can get more income in my life so that I have more options to perhaps participate in other hobbies (laughs) that maybe do cost a touch more money. Exactly. Uh, But finding ways to give you some of that wiggle room, some of that breathing room is a good thing to do. My big takeaway from this conversation involved when she was talking, uh, surprisingly, when she was talking about meal planning. And it wasn't because it was, I guess it's applicable definitely to meal planning. So what she was talking about was that folks, they aren't meal planning. They go to the grocery store, they buy a bunch of groceries, they come home. But then she said the next day, then I'll just go out to lunch because I did not have a plan. And that is when the light bulb went off in my head. It's oftentimes when we are not thinking with the end in mind, right? If you just go to the grocery store and you're buying the things that look good, or even maybe just some things that are on sale because you're trying to be responsible with your money. Or literally just what's on a recipe card, not realizing that maybe you already have some of those ingredients. Sure. You know? In that case, you're not looking like you're, you're you're too in the weeds. You're too far into the forest and you need to step out and look at what, like, what do I actually have on hand? But if you're just buying random stuff here and there, and you aren't meal planning, if you do not have a plan for what it is that you're planning to cook for that week, 
you are not going to make wise purchases. You're going to uh, end up wasting money. And I think the same thing can be true when it comes to how it is we invest our money, right? Because if you don't have a plan, if you don't have the end in mind and what it is that you're you're, you're seeking after, and not even like retirement, but even something like a, a smaller goal, like saving up for a car, it can be easy to get distracted by the smaller things in life that are things that we like. They are things that might be a good deal. They are things that could bring you value. It's not like it's a complete waste of money, but it is really important to keep those big goals top of mind because those goals can influence how it is that we spend our money and how it is that we save our money. Yeah. And so that was something that she said. She was specifically talking about meal planning and cooking. Um, but I think that it is incredibly applicable to how it is that we approach our, our finances in general. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And you got, you got to have that end in mind. And you might be able to even afford <laughs> to waste 25% of your grocery budget. Like she said, that's what the average American does by, mm-hmm. by throwing it in the trash, really. But that doesn't mean that it's the best use of your money. We'd rather see you be more intentional, cutting that uh, grocery bill down to size so that you can funnel that money into into things that matter more, long-term goals that are more important to you exactly. as opposed to kind of the, the short-term easy choice, which is just to load up that cart with whatever's in front of you. But then the sad reality is your money gets flushed down the toilet at the same time. But uh, Matt, let's get back to the beer that we had on this episode. This was from Wicked Weed. It's a stout. It's called Brownie. Brownie. <laughs> I think I had a dog named Brownie when I was a kid. Maybe. Did you really? Uh, I don't know. It was a long time ago. <laughs> I can't really remember. I think I was like three, but maybe. Gotcha. Maybe it was chocolate. I don't know. Something like that. But what were your thoughts on this beer? Uh, it was good, man. This uh, this is an imperial stout brewed with chocolate and natural hemp-like flavors, which is really a fun, interesting combo. <laughs> Here's a brownie stout that tastes like weed. I've uh, never <laughs> gnawed on a hemp necklace, so I'm not, not sure what it tastes like. Uh, but yeah, this is really interesting. And, and surprisingly, it wasn't really... Like, I, I guess I was expecting more like dank-like flavors. Uh, but the flavors that I picked up on it were more like sage, like cooking spices, hmm. where it almost had like this minerally... It's just oregano, Mom. Oh, like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, man, I'm totally falling into their trap. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, no, this, this, is, this is really interesting as well, because this is from Wicked Weed, and they don't often, they don't brew a whole lot of bigger, darker beers like yeah, this, they right? They do a lot more sours. That's yeah, what exactly. That's, that's what they're known for. So it's it's really cool to come across another one of these guilty pleasures beers. Uh, that's what's written here on the yeah. can. There's actually a series and it came in like a four pack. So I grabbed the four packs. We'll be having more of these Wicked Weed stouts on the show in the future. But yeah, I'll say I was not impressed with this one. It was, oh, no? it was just okay. <laughs> um, and yeah, I, I guess it was it's just a solid beer. And I expect more yeah. from Wicked Weed. And, and maybe it's just because, yeah, they don't really do the stout thing uh, very often. But yeah, we'll see if the other ones pan out a little bit better than this one did. Right. Well, either way, we are always down to try any beer at least one time. Yeah. And we will make sure to link to Sarah's channel, her YouTube channel, as well as her site and other resources we have may have mentioned during this episode up on our website at howtomoney.com. No doubt. All right, Matt, that's going to do it. Until next time, best friends out. Best friends out. Hey, it's Matt here for Health Aid Kombucha. This bubbly probiotic tea blended with real fruit juice is deliciously thirst quenching and great for your gut health. Health Aid Kombucha comes in many flavors like Pink Lady Apple, Passion Fruit Tangerine, and Ginger Lemon, which is one of my favorites since it has that extra ginger kick. I'm a big fan, though the kids prefer the, the mango lemonade. It's organic, it's non-GMO, and a great alternative to sodas and other sugary drinks. Just look for the brown bottle with an anchor in your local stores. Give it a try today. Make Health Aid Kombucha your go-to for a healthier, happier you. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was so cool. I think you're so talented. Social media is only positive with Zigazoo, the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. In Zigazoo, all community members are verified kids just like yours. And all content is fully human moderated. Try out Zigazoo this spring break. Download the Zigazoo app today. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it.
2025 QX80 coming this summer. When it comes to your finances, go for the credit card that's always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We're talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.